0: And welcome to the Research Works podcast, brought to you in association with Curtin University and the Healthy Strides Foundation. Your hosts are Dr. Dana Poole and Dr. Ashley Thornton, and together we will interview world leading researchers in the area of child health to support your practice in being more evidence based.
1: The team at the Research Works podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land and waters on which we live and work. We pay our respects to all First Nations peoples, elders past and present, and would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast each week, the Wadjuk people of the Noongar Nation. We recognise their continued connection to this beautiful budja we call home.
0: everyone. I'm so glad you decided to join us for another episode of the Research Works podcast.
1: Yes, welcome back everyone. Oh, Happy yes. to have you here again. Today we're talking with Georgia McKenzie who is a PhD student at La Trobe University in Melbourne, Victoria. Welcome Georgia. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks,
2: for
1: having me. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. We're, I think we're really excited to talk to you about this work. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, connects a lot of favourites for us. It's qualitative, (laughs) it it involves Mm -hmm. physical activity, Mm -hmm. so it's right in our wheelhouse, tick, tick, tick. Um, And the article that we're discussing for all of our listeners is called Finding What Works For Me, a qualitative study of factors influencing community gym participation in young adults with cerebral palsy. And this was published in Disability and Rehabilitation in June 2022. Yeah, well done, Mm -hmm. well done. (laughs) Yeah. So let's tell you a bit more about Georgia. Georgia McKenzie is a physiotherapist at the St. Vincent's Hospital Young Adult Complex Disability Service, working with young adults with cerebral palsy to make the transition from paediatric to the adult world. She's a current PhD candidate with La Trobe University and CP Achieve, investigating the factors influencing gym participation for adults with cerebral palsy and how to best support participation in the gym. She has a special interest in working with young adults to engage in physical activity within their local communities.
0: Love this. Again, you can see why we love all this. Yeah,
1: I think that transition space is such an important Mm -hmm. one. And so, yeah, this is really valuable work, Georgia.
2: Thank you. (laughs) I'm obviously quite interested in it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, I think it's one of those things that, you know, when we listen to what, The content that's about to come, I just know there's going to be a lot of things we can think about. It's relevant for so many people. You know, kids do grow up to become adults. We want healthy lifestyles and what they say matters. And I think that's why this paper, you know, really
1: caught our interest and why we wanted to have a chat with you about it today. For sure. All right, so that's the formal getting to know you bit. The Mm -hmm. informal getting to know you bit is our little icebreaker question, the humble icebreaker. I love it. So today it's a bit of a gym theme.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I see where this is going.
1: Yeah, so I would love to know, Dana and Georgia, what is your favourite gym class or exercise? (laughs) You go first, Georgia.
0: (laughs) Yes, first. Um,
2: It's interesting because I... Prior to this research, have not been a gym person myself. Okay, um, mm. but I have found that I really love strength training. So yeah. I like to go in, do the strength exercises, and mostly avoid the. Um, the bike and the treadmill. So <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. say strength exercise. Yeah. You get bang for your buck with that. And I think increasingly more
0: people understand that, don't they? I mean, there's been this whole yeah. rise of it on Instagram, I think, as you see, and people are doing more strength stuff. Look, I, I, I'm i not really – I did go to the gym a lot when I was younger and I just hit this point where I was like, I just don't like this environment mm. for me. I just didn't like the the gym setting. I just like being outdoors for me. Yeah. So I, I run a lot. And it fluctuates how obsessed I feel with running from any point in time. And at the moment, I'm doing – everyone's going to be sick of me saying this. I love my <laughs> zone two training at the moment because I'm trying to get back into running again. Mm. So I'm just watching my heart rate so that I can actually enjoy my run and actually improve my fitness. So I'm, I'm really yeah. loving that. But if I had to choose a particular exercise for just getting bang for your buck, I would have to say the humble burpee because you can oh. do a minute's worth of it and you can tick all your boxes. Like your heart rate's elevated, you've got everything, the blood's pumping, your brain's activated, and you can get going into stuff, and I feel like – you know, if you if you feel like you need to just get your heart rate up, that does it. First two yeah. burpees, you're like, I got this. Three, four, five, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't got this. Got this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get up off the floor. <laughs>
1: oh, burpees. Well, <What?
0: laughs> <laughs> just to get the, it's not a lovely exercise, but you know, you just ticks the boxes quickly.
1: Yeah, That's yeah. All. No, yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate you know? that. It's yeah. taking me back to my hockey preseason days. So oh, there's some yes. there's some underlying trauma there that I'm <laughs> just working through. As You mentioned burpees. <laughs> <laughs> I know they see more as punishment aren't yeah, they? 100%. yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100% 100% <laughs> Um for me I love a good deadlift Yeah Yeah yeah, yeah. love a good deadlift I don't know there's something really satisfying about it's it true, because it's it? easy like the technique I mean it's hard to get the technique right yeah, but yeah. it's it's quite a straightforward movement yeah. Um but I also I went to one spin class I've been to one spin class <laughs> in my life yeah and it I actually, re- despite being on a bike, which I don't like so much, I, re- I really enjoyed yeah. the enthusiasm that everyone, yes. like, I think everyone yes. who's had a spin class is really buying into the yeah, yeah. the spin yeah. class vibe. So that was really fun for oh, me. Oh, okay. Yeah. At least yeah. that's fun. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. You know, what I'd love to say, I'm just going to add the
0: scene, not that I'm just going to try to take over this, this clip at all, but I, <laughs> I wish I could say my favorite exercise was a pull
1: up. I really oh, want wow. to be able it's to do an a aspirational exercises. Yeah, <laughs>
0: aspirational, and I see it. And like, one of your PhD supervisors, I know, can just nail oh, these. So yes. Claire can can if do you're these. Listening, oh yeah. my gosh! <laughs> and I just want to do one. And me too. It's like a life goal. Yeah. Right? Just, right. just right. one. <laughs> yes. And I feel like all you need is one because if you were ever like hanging over the edge of a cliff and you need to save yourself, right now I couldn't. I just have to fall. Whereas if I could just do one pull up,
1: I could save myself. Yeah. I feel like it's survival. I've done one once. Have you? Well, but I had a caveat. I had the, the big elastic <laughs> support band under cool me. Though. like. Yeah, pushing my legs up, so mm. it was it was satisfying to do yeah. it. Yeah, couldn't do it without the band. But so if I was on the cliff, I'd need the band.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Someone give me a boost. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: so just, yes, just a note
3: down. from the producer's desk. Yes. Exactly. Where are you guys? Oh, well, what are you guys doing when you're hanging off the side of cliffs?
1: Uh, it's, <laughs> what was Tom Cruise doing when he was hanging exactly. off the side of a cliff? It's always in the movies somehow.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. You never know when you're in a circumstance where like the bridge gives way, you fling yourself over to the edge, you yeah. hang over the edge, and you're like, I just gotta pull myself up.
1: Yeah. Or even just to get out of the pool.
0: <laughs> I hear
1: you. Yeah. And you gotta pick your moment sometimes. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> thanks for chiming in on that one. Yeah, thanks, Ed. <laughs> Shall we get into this paper? Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Enough let me give aspirational you <laughs> exercises. Let's get into it. I, I could go on about that, I'm sure. Okay. So the aim of this paper is to understand the factors influencing participation in community-based gym exercise for young adults with cerebral palsy. In this qualitative study, the team used semi-structured interviews for 39 young adults with cerebral palsy aged between 15 and 30 years, with GMFCS levels 1 through to 5, following a peer-supported gym-based exercise program called Fit Skills. With the overarching theme being finding what works for me, young adults identified four interrelated themes that influence whether gym participation worked for them or not. This includes psychological factors, social participation, context, organisational and logistical
1: support and cost. Mm. Thank you for Good that one. summary, Dana. You're very <laughs> welcome. All right, Georgia, let's set the scene a little bit. Can you tell us what we know currently about inactivity and condition sequelae in people with cerebral palsy? Because I feel like this is, you know, important context mm. for the topic that we're going to get into today.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess the first point of to make would be that um, CP itself is not a progressive condition, mm. and but what we do tend to notice uh, in adulthood is that there's is a decline in function um, as this group age. Mm. So um, particularly, I guess, in that GMFCS 2 to 4 kind of range where um, they might start to use gate aids or start to use a wheelchair um, later in their life. Um, And... That, I guess, can be related to, you know, a few different things. There's, there's changes to their muscles and bones as they age, so um, they start to see some of the impacts of their spasticity, um, weakness and mm. postural deformity. Um, and then there's this whole early ageing mm. uh, process that we see as well. So, mm-hmm. um you know, Mark Peterson in the US has done a lot of work on that, but we see earlier onset of conditions like... Um, heart disease, diabetes, osteoporosis. Um, and at the same time, they are much less active uh, yeah. than peers um, that don't have a disability. So mm. um, we know how much influence physical activity can have on those cardiometabolic conditions and mm. things like building strength and cardiovascular mm. fitness. Um, so I guess that they're all quite interrelated, and um, that's where I guess we see the potential for physical activity to have really good impact on on the function and the yeah. um, health and well-being of that group. Yeah,
1: yeah. And just on that well-being point, I think you know yeah. a lot of what we know is focused around the the physical benefits of physical activity, but we us you know I think. Um, we're starting to appreciate more some of the the other benefits to being physically mm. active beyond just those physical ones. Can we talk a bit mm. about, I suppose, the, the social or more well-being
2: elements? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think it's happening more in the mainstream world. So mm. um, definitely in physical activity literature more generally, um, yeah. there's recognition of the mental health um, benefits of of participating regularly in exercise. Mm. And I think in the mental health field as well, it's becoming more of a part of um, treatment, like mental health treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's starting to be recognised in the recreation industry as well, like in their promotion Mm. of Mm. their health promotion. Mm. But I think um, for people with physical disabilities, we definitely in terms of the literature, um, we still tend to have quite a focus on the physical outcomes of um, any interventions for that group. And so we don't actually really know a lot about how physical activity impacts um, mental health and wellbeing for people with disabilities.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess it's always a thing of how you measure it, right? I feel like yeah. in, the, in the other yeah. spaces, um, we've got more recognition because we've got more tools that we can we can mm. measure this with now. And I yep. think it's yeah. it's quite hard to measure that in in different sort of clinical populations. Mm. But these are all things that we can relate to ourselves. How yeah. many times, you know. I often have like a sore neck. Probably it's because I sit in front of the computer and a really bad <laughs> posture. And I should know better. But you know what's the best remedy for that? Often is I make sure I exercise and I go for a walk. I don't cause harm to it. But you do you know how you feel after that? And you're like, oh yeah, it's gone. Like my headache's mm. gone. And, and there are things that we know that happen physiologically that are mm. relevant to, to all human bodies. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's really good that you've, you've talked about all the aspects yeah. of physical activity, which we've spoken about many times. We now, have. haven't yeah. We? yeah. 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 So we know that, you know, the, we often talk about children and then we talk about adults with cerebral palsy, but yours is really unique in that we're talking about that transition phase. What are some of the things we really need to consider during this transition phase?
2: Um, yeah, good question. I yeah. think um, transition to adulthood is, again, it's really important for all of us. So, yeah. um, you know, we're really in that phase of life. We're really developing our independence, um, you know, our starting to make decisions about what what we want to participate in and how mm. we want to participate. And there's that really strong um, kind of social connection, mm. um, like building your social networks yeah, and really yeah. developing your sense of self. And that I think is um, the same when we're talking about people with cerebral palsy. Yeah. But um, there is an increased sort of prevalence of uh, mental health conditions like depression for Um, they go through adolescence and into adulthood and we do know that they tend to have smaller social networks um, Mm. into adulthood. So I guess um, in Australia we have a lot of supports and services that are available when Mm. you're a child and then Mm. they really decrease once you turn 18. So Mm. um, I guess being able to support someone during that transition, you know, Mid teens into your yeah. early 20s um, really means that you're helping to set that person up for yeah. um, life in, in our Australian
0: um, yeah. setting where there yeah. isn't as
2: much um, support available.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's often those real hard cut-offs, or there traditionally was, yeah, and yeah. I suppose there is still remnants of that in our community, even though funding structures are more like you know more, more lifelong. But even you think about hospitals, paediatric yeah. to adults. I know it's a source of anxiety for for parents and the children yeah. going. What what happens after this? Yeah, it's finishing school, all yeah, that support,
1: yeah. and they kind of all coincide, it all don't happens. they? It's yeah, all of yeah. those structured opportunities yep. for connection mm-hmm. and. Interaction Mm -hmm. tend to drop off at the same time, yeah, Yeah.
0: and suddenly all these things happen that we know that happen from in cerebral palsy in terms of that that you know speedier aging process. So you feel like you're you're not as fit, you don't feel as strong, and so all that happens in that time, Mm. it's it's a big it's a big period to really consider. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So for young adults with CP who are are trying to be physically active, what does that what does that look like in mm. you know out in the big, wide world? because you know, and i I know it's a very heterogeneous condition that we're talking about, and you know this is at a very general level, but mm. I suppose there's things that able-bodied people might not think about or consider when you're talking about, you know, the act of being physically active and all the things that they would need to think about when yeah. trying to do that. Yeah. So we yeah. Talk, can we talk about what some of those things might be? Might be?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that opportunities is really lacking for adults with um, particularly physical disabilities. So mm. um, there isn't a lot of structured um, activities or physical activities that are available mm. um, once you become an adult.
0: Yeah,
2: and I—I um, I mean, prior to this paper, I did do a systematic review looking at um, community-based physical activity for people with physical disabilities, and it was really environmental factors that were um, played the biggest influence mm, on their ability sense. to so, be active yeah. in their yeah. community. Yeah. So, um, particularly physical. Environment, which I think um, is kind of intuitive when you're thinking about physical disability, yeah. that you need to have access to places, to equipment, yeah. um, things that are adaptable and yeah. things, that, you know, as simple as change rooms yeah. um, that you can use. But the other big one was the social environment. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that was um, really looking at, like, the attitudes and the behaviours of um, the people mm. that were in that exercise setting. So mm. um, whether it be sport or the gym um yeah. you know it's the staff, the coaches, the other patrons and your teammates and and oh, their yeah. attitudes and behaviors that of can course. really play such an yeah. important role.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I mean you I think that holds true for everyone doesn't it, it? Does. But, yeah. but it would be yeah. especially, especially right. the case yeah. you know when yeah for for these young people that we're mm. talking about yeah. who who have those additional barriers to Physical activity and and to it being accessible to them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I remember the first time I went into a gym and you see this piece of equipment, you're like, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> And, you know, you, then you see really competent people who seem to know what they're doing and mm. you feel out of place and, you know, what are, what's the etiquette? What are the rules around how this works? It's all very new and that's something that you experience as you, you become an adult, right? It's that whole transition again because you start to do more on your own. Yeah. yeah. It's a really interesting thing to, to consider. And I, and I guess maybe now really specifically about fit skills, which is what you've mm. based your qualitative mm. study on. Can you tell us
2: a little bit about what that program actually is yeah. So uh, Fit Skills is an exercise program that's mm-hmm. based in the gym. Um, it was developed here in Melbourne by one of my supervisors, so that's Professor Nora Shields. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, it's a twelve-week, twice-a-week gym program, and it is run in a local community gym. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an evidence-based program, so the all of the exercise prescription is done by a physio or an EP mm-hmm. and based on, um, you know, the strength recommendation, like a strength training um, program. Mm. Um, so what, I guess what's really unique about it, though, is that it's got a real peer support element to it. So right. every young person who does the program gets matched up with a student mentor. Yeah. Um, so because they... It was run through La Trobe Uni. They recruited through the allied or through the health um, sciences um, field. So it could be a physio student or an OT student, um, speech, podiatry, nursing. It really wasn't, that didn't have to be someone who had exercise experience or exercise knowledge, but just um, someone who would provide peer support for that 12 weeks while they went to the gym and Uh, exercised together.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Gosh, and how many people participated in that? It, sound, like, it sounds pretty intensive <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> in the, it the, is. the
2: breadth um, of the study. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's been running for about 10 years, though, and wow. so there's been smaller okay. studies leading up. But this one yeah, that sure. that this paper um, related to was a big feasibility trial. So sure. there was 123 young That's people big. who wow. um, <laughs> were aged 13 to 30 with right. a disability that, that went through the program in Um, Gyms like all across Melbourne, so it was a pretty big trial. Yeah, Yeah. that's
1: incredible. Yeah. Um, Well, that's really important context. So, talk to us then about the participants in this paper, this qualitative paper. How did how did you collect this data? And tell us a little bit, I suppose, broadly about the participants that you had in your study.
2: Yeah. So I was looking at um, 15 to 30 years old, so focusing more on that. Late teens and that transition phase into yep. adulthood uh-huh. um and and um cerebral palsy, so uh, that was the particular um, group that I was interested in. Um, it was a qualitative study, so we were really looking to see what their experiences were with the program. Mm-hmm. Um, there was other outcomes that were outcome measures and things that were done that formed part of other papers, but this one was really about their experiences exercising in the gym. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and that's really important context to draw meaning out of some of those other, uh, I suppose, more quantitative outcome measures, isn't it? Like it's – we always talk about this kind of the complementary nature of quantitative and qualitative Mm. data, and Mm. that qualitative component is is really rich, I think, and adds a lot to our understanding about how we might try and – implement these types of studies more broadly or, you know, scale them up, what's working, what's not, what do people take away from that as participants in these studies? So much
0: great information and all of that. Uh, Yeah. And I guess that's the value of what it is that we're about to talk about in terms of the results, hey? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So your overarching um, theme in terms of results was finding what works for me. Um, so I, I noticed that you sort of had these four main themes out of that. So let's mm. go through them like one by one. And I know that they're all kind of related, really. I think they're all kind of really feed into each other, which is the beauty of qualitative research as well—that yeah. you can find these themes and bring them all down. It's, it's like it's like magic, actually. I mean, there's a lot of work behind it, <laughs> but you know, how you can come up with it. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so the first one, let's talk about the psychological factors. Yeah, talk more about what you actually found there.
2: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we talked before about um, that there is that focus on physical benefits um, at the moment. Yeah. But, um, what I will say is that a lot of the participants, they did talk about physical motivators for joining and they did yeah. talk about physical outcomes. But the way that they really talked about it um was related to things like their confidence mm. um, their in the gym environment or in their daily um, other day activities like school yeah. and work yep. um, and their sense of self um, when they were participating in other life activities. So um, that was really how they talked about even the physical um, outcomes. It really related sure. to their sort of psychosocial um, yeah. Yeah, well-being at cool. the end of the program. Yeah, yeah. Whereas before the program, um, similarly, they talked about a lack of confidence in yeah. the gym or in that, like you mentioned before, Dana, like yeah. knowing how what to do, the <laughs> etiquette, how to fit in. Yeah, you know, that was all very strong in um, in their worries before the program, and um, so yeah, it was just a really uh, interesting uh, finding from the paper for me that. T- I think being a physio, I probably yeah. did come into it thinking that they were going to talk all about how strong <laughs> their legs were and, yeah. How, yeah. <laughs> and how much fitter yeah. they were. Yeah. But they yeah. really did focus a lot on um, the the psychological factors that influence whether or not they, um, you know, felt comfortable in the gym or yeah. to get started in the gym and then how that changed over the 12 weeks that they um, that they worked out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um- And that highlights uh, probably an important point that we didn't cover when we talked about your participants and how you um, came to speak with them in the context Mm. of this study. So were you talking with them and interviewing them at the conclusion of the program, so asking them to reflect on their time
2: in FIT skills? Yeah. Yeah. So they were all Mm. interviewed within about – Think about two to eight weeks of the right. yeah. the program finishing, yeah. so mm-hmm. it was still fairly fresh in their minds, but yeah. they had had some time to like reflect on yeah um, yeah on their experience yeah.
0: yeah yeah, and I guess that just shows again the power of that reflection as well. There is, you know, it's a it's a twelve week program, and you know you you can't do physical fitness stuff fast anyway, because we talk about just purely muscles, rest and recovery. Yeah, yeah. We've spoken about that. Yeah. We all need to make sure that our muscles can rest and recover, but you also need time to work through some of those factors. You know, you've got to think about, um, in, you know, reflecting your last session and like maybe imagine what it'd be like to go to your next session and where your gym equipment might be. And just, mm. you know, that sort of mental mapping of what that next session might look like. You've got to give yourself time. So it's not something that you want to, Hopefully, you know, give up too early because yeah. things will change over that time. And that's reassuring mm. for for people to know that as well. But um, yeah, it's good to actually have some data that actually shows that change that can happen over time. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I think the twelve weeks worked really well for them in that sense because it was long enough to try, yeah, you know, to commit to trying something yeah, new, um, yeah. but not not too long that if if it wasn't working for them, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. They didn't have to commit to it forever. So I think the 12 weeks was a good familiarization time. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Georgia, the second theme that you spoke about was um, the social context of participation. And let's kind of unpack that a little bit more because I think one of the things that came out was that. You know, Fit Skills is obviously filling a bit of a a service gap for these young people. Mm -hmm. What were some of the other, um, I suppose, social benefits of of being involved in the program?
2: Yeah, so it definitely filled a service gap um, in terms of being an opportunity for us, particularly the adults. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, but it also filled a gap in terms of. I guess, social connection and, and peer support. So yeah. one of the big draw cards of Fit Skills um, for many of the participants was that they would have someone around their own age mm. um, as their peer mentor in the gym.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and having that peer mentor, so that's really what Fit Skills did, was change the context of that social context sure. in the gym. Yeah, so yeah. they had, instead of going by themselves yeah. and trying to work it out, they had someone with them. Yeah. And you know, if we talk about like attendance and involvement being those really two aspects of um, participation, the, the peer mentor really helped with both. So yeah. it was incentive to get yep. to the gym and meet yeah. their buddy um, mm. and also the, um, and then exercising alongside them really helped them with the involvement sure. part of participation. So feeling like they belonged there um, and, Learning together and and just working things out together, um, mm. because the buddy didn't necessarily have that yeah, um, exercise experience either. So they were yeah, both working okay. out how to exercise in the and gym we starting from the same point yeah. together, which is nice. Yes. I love that,
1: working together. Yeah. yeah, and you know when you talk about the attendance and the involvement, I think you know from an attendance point of view, having that peer buddy to to have to show up for. Each session adds that level of accountability, doesn't it? Like I'm just thinking about when I tell my friend I'm going to a Pilates class, (laughs) then I feel like you know I can't really make an excuse then. I have to go. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, So true. But I love that you know they're then working together on how to be involved in that session once they're they're there Mm. together and working that out as a team. That's Mm. I find that really really positive.
2: Yeah. And they all had different sort of relationships with their peers but yes. I, I guess that was the um that was what really what came out that was the, was common across yeah across all of them and just made exercise a little bit more fun <laughs> for yeah,
1: sure yeah. More, yeah and I'm interested as well because I know you know whenever you talk about relationships and these kind of peer support networks we we assume that they're you know largely positive <laughs> but were there did you hear about any instances where perhaps relationship or that support system wasn't so positive (laughs) yeah of course i mean
2: at the end of the day it's all it's all people and you know putting people together so yeah um, it all depends on the personalities and and the um yeah attitudes of each party so Mm. overall overall they were positive but um there was a few cases where people had more negative experiences um i guess one One part usually related to scheduling. So um, sometimes it was hard to get the relationship sort of clicking with the mentor because they might have different schedules they were trying to work around and it was harder to get to the gym at the same time. And then, of course, there was a couple of um, participants whose mentors were they didn't consider that they were really attentive enough or maybe there for the right reasons and, Mm. and that kind of negatively impacted on their i would say their involvement in the sure, program yeah. because yeah. they still did the program and they yeah. still saw benefits from mm-hmm. doing the exercise but mm-hmm. the yeah the peer relationship didn't
0: work as well for them yeah 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 it's fair to to acknowledge that and i imagine there'd be a difference between whether someone's functioning within gmfs level one versus three or four and what that peer support mentor might have had previous experience with because they may not have had that before or you know those sort of interactions they're they're new learning curves too but that is also the reality of um doing more within the community did you you see anything based on that at all on the different Um, levels
2: I don't think it was particularly based on the um, GMFCS levels. Mm -hmm. Um, All of the um, mentors do do go through sort of a um, bit of a training
0: um,
2: program. So, yeah, yeah, it might be new to them to to interact with people with Mm. disability, but they do have a bit of sort of base knowledge that they get through the training program. Mm -hmm. Um, It really... Yeah, it wasn't so much related to the mobility level. I think it was more related to their um, attitude towards Okay. I guess their role in the program yeah, sure. and yeah. and their motivation. So sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And yeah, that I mean I think that's a relatively universal experience, isn't it? There's, you know, largely positives and there's a few Mm -hmm. times that you know that those relationships are challenging but I suppose there's always an opportunity to learn something from that and you know lessons that you can take forward in Mm. yeah future opportunities to to work with people or learn from people so yeah
0: yeah So, the next theme was around, um, which is kind of a little bit related to what we were talking about before, but organisational and logistical support, which I I imagine would be something that needs a lot of consideration. So, so tell us a little bit more about what some of those um, factors were with with regards to organisational and logistics.
2: Yeah. Um, So, I I think this is probably not new to um, (laughs) like it's always a barrier to physical activity participation for um, people with disability and our participants really recognize that that as well um Mm. so um I mentioned before it was filling a gap and so one of the gaps that it filled for parents was that um it was a really structured and coordinated Mm. program and Mm. so it fit skills itself did relieve um some yeah. of the logistical and sure. organisational um, burdens, in that they didn't have to, they didn't have to find a physio to do yeah. their program, or, or yeah. they didn't have to find a peer mentor, or find a gym, even. Um, yeah, sure. That all of that was organised by Fit Skills, but mm-hmm. of course they still had to be able to get to the program. Mm,
1: yeah.
2: Um, they had to coordinate the um, the schedule with the peer mentor, um, so they did that between themselves. Yeah, sure. Um, and so, yeah, I, I suppose it's um, just always something that is going to be front of mind when we're thinking yeah. about physical activity for this group. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And I suppose one of the the other things, particularly when we're talking about the gym setting and programs that operate within, you know, that more f- formal structured gym environment is cost yeah Yeah. can we talk a little bit about that
2: yeah so um i guess that was the other the sort of final big um theme that came out because fit skills running as a research program was free for the participants yeah Mm -hmm. um so cost is always comes up as a big barrier um for physical activity participation and um So that was one attraction of the program, but FitSkills itself, it does run as a fee-for-service program in the real world. Um, And so I guess it was a facilitator for a lot of the families that wanted to try it as an opportunity um, because gym membership costs and casual entry are often seen as quite expensive and um, for our participants they didn't feel like um, paying – so this is after they finished the Fit Skills program. They didn't feel like paying for a gym membership it was really value for money for them yeah, um, okay. if they're only going once or twice a week. Fair, um, yep. That that wasn't worth it. Yeah, And then they also have to obviously pay for um, the additional uh, things that relate to their disability like mm. getting to the gym if they can't sure. get there yeah. themselves and yep. also yep. a support worker if they need yep. a support worker to come and assist them Yeah, um, with Personal care or um, mm. transport, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things to consider, isn't that? Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't there? I mean, that's why we are that's why teams of researchers are, are working to try to find ways to break down those barriers because we know there are these barriers yeah. and cost yeah. is one of them. And um, we know that we're, we're so fortunate in Australia to have the National Disability Insurance Scheme, the mm-hmm. NDIS. And whilst you can access that funding, you need to uh, plan to have that funding yeah. and you need to think ahead of time for it. So there are things that need to be considered and, and the role that therapists and families can play in helping to create those plans is really significant. But again, again, requires that organisation and logistics to be able to, to overcome those barriers, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. They don't mm-hmm. just happen, unfortunately. No, yeah. yeah.
2: They're very closely related because, yes, you can get the funding for yeah. the transport and the support worker, mm-hmm. but then it's often up to the family um, to try and coordinate all of those things, again, to get to the gym, yeah. which, which then isn't covered cost-wise so
0: yeah that's right yeah. and 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 hopefully if you can get there we know we can have these benefits right so that we've spoken yeah. about so we do want to try to find ways to get there so yeah. I guess just to to bring it all together then you know what are what would be your top tips for different uh, groups of people that are involved in the participant's life like what would you say from what you found in all of this
2: what would you recommend um I think well like you just mentioned, for clinicians, I think um, if we can try and keep some of those fa- these factors in mind um, when we're trying to plan physical activity for um, our clients. So, mm. um, you know, partnerships are really important, I think, and if mm. you can have um, like a good partnership with the support coordinators and partnerships with leisure and rec- recreation organisations, um, and then, obviously, the family that you're working with. I think that's probably one of the the things that can help to identify and then overcome some of the the barriers. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I guess
0: it's just noting that there's value for money. So hmm. um, that at the end of the day is what we need to be able to demonstrate. And if we can show that we can keep someone more active and part of their community, and um, you know, be just be able to be, to do what they want to be able to do. And, you know, daily health and being, they're all just key factors when you think about the main outcomes you want to get. So we just need to be able to highlight yeah why it's important, why yep. it's necessary. Yeah.
1: And in the paper, Georgia, you mentioned, um, that we might need to can reconsider how we actually prompt yeah. people to be physically active. Can you, what does that mean? Can you talk to us yeah. a little bit more about that?
2: Uh, yeah. So, um, I guess going back to what we discussed at the beginning about the um, the focus on physical benefits, yeah, um, it it really did come out quite strongly from the participants that um, there was all these other um, things going on in terms of confidence and sense of self and yeah. um, a- and the ability to try something and develop their own preferences. Yeah. Um, so, I think um, when we're when we're talking about physical activity to these families and to these clients, um, and also when we're, uh, you know, justifying things in terms of what supports that they need and yeah. um, what funding that they require, um, if we can really try and keep some of those additional um, mental health and yeah. social benefits um, at the forefront, then. Yeah. Um, that was really important to the participants in this study. So I just, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to probably expand our um, health promotion for this group. Yep, yep. Hard agree.
0: I because yeah. you can talk about you know they increase their their manual muscle testing score, they handheld dynamometry by this, but what does it mean for that person? And at the end yeah. of the day, that's what the NDIS is for. It's about the participant being able to to reach their goals and aspirations. You know, it, it's all about yeah. it's all about that. So yeah. and what's going to keep them
1: coming back? Is that's it right. is it yeah. you know uh, a change in x mm. you know variable that's mm. related to their motor function, mm. or is it the the psychological benefits that they get from being physically active. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. probably that's a combination, right. but yeah. you know, on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. it's probably how it's making them feel.
0: And long term, yeah. you know, just the health economics of it, right? So just you don't need a physio for every single time you go to the gym. I mean, we'd love to go all the time, but yeah. the reality <laughs> is you don't need us all the time. If you can have it set up and get the right supports in place, and I think that's a yeah. that's powerful and really really important um, yeah moving forward. And then yeah. you're giving
2: someone opportunities yeah. to develop their their social networks yeah, and their, right. you know, their their place within their own local community yeah. that is So we um, don't get in the way. Because we yeah. get in the yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> we just don't get in the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Georgia,
1: where to from here? What what are the next steps for you in this work?
2: Yeah. Um I'm glad you asked that question. I'm <laughs> obviously doing my PhD studies in this area. So I'm hoping to finish up at the end of the year. <laughs> Fabulous, um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm also an investigator on a, a Vic Health grant, so um, a statewide program here in Victoria where we're working with, um, in partnership with gyms, to look at the social support and the cost um, factors. So uh, we're really hoping to shed a bit more light on how people with disability are currently supported in the gym, and also how some of those costs. Um, barriers can be addressed wonderful Um, yeah so hopefully there'll be some really practical and useful information that comes out of that and yeah yeah uh, you know being a clinician we always just want really practical useful um, strategies and tips and things uh, for our practice so um, that's really my aim from um, my work is to hopefully have some yeah some good it's great
0: translation. Yeah, that's yeah. really exciting. Yeah. yeah, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah. that's, re- that's really that's <laughs> really exciting, and that's definitely like you know. You've got – we're 100% behind it. It's not that you needed us behind it, but we love it. We're advocates. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Georgia, thank you so much for for going through that paper. Um, We're not done yet. We thought we'd just bring back the Tell It To Ed segment for this because I think there'll be some great things that we can talk about from it. So, for all of our listeners, here we go. Tell It To Ed. Ed, as you know, is our producer. He doesn't have a background in child health, but he has been listening. He's been taking notes, I'm sure. So, this is a great opportunity, Georgia, for you to summarise your work in about 60 seconds so to someone who isn't a researcher or a clinician. And uh, Ed, in turn, will have time for a question. So, Georgia, take
2: it away to Ed. Okay. Hi, Ed. Um, so in this study, I interviewed 39 adults with or young adults with CP about their experiences exercising in the gym for 12 weeks um, with a peer mentor who was their gym buddy. Uh, we found some really interesting findings relating to how It influenced their confidence, their sense of self, um, their mood and their self-efficacy. And the reason um, that that is really interesting um, to us as researchers is because we often associate physical activity with physical improvement um, benefits for people with disability. And it was really the social involvement and the psychological health um, that were talked about the most by this group. So, Yes, this paper gives us some valuable information um, for how we can try and engage with young people. Lovely. Well done, Georgia. That's well great. done. I don't know how long that was very perfect.
0: That was very good. All right, Ed, your turn for a question.
3: Well, I I really love this. I love the whole gym and fitness thing and it's been a few years since I've been at the gym, but I, I do remember my time at the gym and, and and how impactful it was in terms of physical fitness and how I felt and the people that I went to the gym with. And I this episode's been great, and I think you, you've covered pretty much all of the, the topics that I might have asked a question on. Um, <laughs> so I guess my question is probably in relation to the translation of this and where this is kind of going. And it, there is this sense that the gym industry is very... Uh, unregulated it doesn't it doesn't have a lot of um, <laughs> regulation um, <laughs> yeah so this is why this is a layman segment <laughs> um, so I guess my question is about what kind of um, policies can be put in place by 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 governments or funding bodies that can kind of help make gyms more accessible and kind of add these types of programs and is there something on the horizon is there something that like is not known about by the general populace, like people like myself? Um, or do we have a, a plan to kind of help integrate these kind of things into into society and community as a whole?
2: Ooh, good question, Georgia. That is a great question. <laughs> 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 um, I guess we we do actually know that um, exercise is safe for most people with disability. I mean, similar to the rest of us, if you've mm. got like specific conditions or um that you might need medical clearance for, but for the most part it is safe. And so I think um, there's, like you said, there's not not any particular regulation in terms of like disability training or um, auditing gyms, anything like that, if, if yeah. they're already offering programs. Um, I think that I'm, I'm not sure what my thoughts are on um, having things like audits, mm. but I do think that having really strong partnerships is probably the um, the way to go. So developing programs that are, you know, in partnership, for instance, with a university or a disability organisation, okay. clinicians, you know, like if we're all involved in the development of a program and then can evaluate the sort of impact of it, then I think that's probably the best way to make sure that um, it's – I guess, the the best design, most appropriate thing for whichever group you're trying to um, involve in the gym. Does yeah. that sort of yeah. answer the question? <laughs> yeah,
3: I think so. so. I, I think I, I just kind of had in mind about where where this kind of breeds greater community and, and better understandings for people because obviously gyms can be very yeah. busy places and yeah. um, people with disabilities or other conditions, um, it's not always – easy to navigate through a gym, that, that's been my experience anyway. So I guess yeah, that, those yeah. are my thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, almost like not, yeah. not an accreditation but a, a process that a gym could go through to say, look, we're, we're accessible, yeah. We, yeah. we're welcoming, yeah. we want you know, we want you to come and use yeah. our space yeah. and feel comfortable doing that kind Yeah. Of thing. Like, How can
0: they say they're yeah. accessible, Because yeah. right? it's yeah. accessible just like one piece of equipment they can use. Great, I'll have great triceps. Yeah, yes. like, yeah. You know, yeah. Is yeah, there, is there yeah. anything else that you can say that I'm accessible so then there's at least an X amount of equipment that's accessible Yeah. Um, and then your bathrooms are actually accessible, not just like slightly bigger but no table. You know, like yes. there's, yeah. there's things that you could probably say to to promote yourself as being accessible, which yeah. I think people increasingly want to be able to say that and that's the great thing yeah. about our community. Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah great question. Yeah, thanks Ed. Very thought provoking. Yeah, nice mm-hmm. one. Well, Georgia, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's it's so lovely to be able to talk to fellow clinicians and researchers who are passionate about areas like we similarly are and yeah. um, and to be able to see the work that's been done. So thank you and congratulations on on getting your way through the PhD. Nearly done. Yeah. yeah nearly there. <laughs> all the best with so submission. Yeah, that's exciting. right. Yeah. <laughs> so exciting. Thank you. <laughs> so to all of our listeners, remember you can head to our website, researchworks.net, uh, where you can get access to the show notes and um, the link to the paper as well. So, And and also, of course, a CPD form there that you can fill out if you want to keep this as part of a record of your PD requirements. But for now, we say thank you very much once again, Georgia. <laughs> thank you.
2: No and, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Oh, Thanks for coming on. Yeah. yeah.
0: And to everyone else, we'll talk to you all again next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>